All right, hey folks, and welcome back to the 747 Club Podcast, 747 Conversations. It's your host, Chris Shembra. We're broadcasting live from beautiful New York City today, and I'm blessed to be joined with uh, my dear friend, Miss Kelly Jacob. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the podcast. Now, we can look back as we start this podcast and, and of the a variety of things we're going to cover today, but I want to dig back to the start. Um, growing up in, in New York City, uh, growing up in Brooklyn, if you could give credit or thanks to one person from your childhood that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, who would that be? If I had to give credit to one person, it would probably be my grandmother, who we called my mom. Um, and my mom used to always say, you know, Kelly, she was from the South, you got to take the bitter with the sweet. And it's something that I still think of to this day, that in life there's, you know, I think oftentimes when you're kids, there's like this idea of a perfection of, you know, it's just all going to be perfect and you just have to be a certain way and there's all the good that you focus on. But the reality is you got to take the bitter with the sweet just as equally and there's a balance to life. So I always remind myself of that when things may not go as I plan, like that's okay. You, you have to take the bitter with the sweet just as, as you may take something good, you take something bad and, and that's okay. Was it easy as a kid to hear those words? Um, were there were there bitter things that were happening to you as a kid? Yeah, totally. So I grew up in um, a neighborhood in Brooklyn called Seagate, where we were the first black family to move into Seagate. Um, when they first sold the house to my parents, there was literally protests. Um, because they did not want black people living in the community. Uh, they, they were protesting you guys moving the in. The house, yeah. There were oh. protests. Um, when we were renovating, they tried to pay our contractor to burn our house down. Um, but my parents, especially my mom, incredibly strong wills. Like, no one's going to tell her what to do. So we moved in. So, but it was very challenging, um, especially even going to Seagate Day Camp, being called names, being very different. And it was hard. And I guess, and I remember talking to my grandmother about it. And she's like, you know, Kelly, you got to take the bitter with the sweet. And there's so many beautiful things in life. And that's a reality. That's something that you're dealing with. But this is life. And you will go on. And you will become stronger because of this. And that's the, that's the joy of the game that we're playing called life. And so um, I don't think I kind of put it in that way at seven years old, but um, it's how I kind of look back and I look to things now. You know, most people don't don't hear a story like this and think of, of Brooklyn uh, or the North in general as being a racist place. Yeah. So Seagate's also, I think it's the last gated community in New York. It's like this small little peninsula south of Coney Island. Um, so it was, it's a very small specific community, but yeah, that's very real. And I mean, it's also real everywhere, right? So even we moved to the city when I was in seventh grade. So I guess it's like 12 or 13, um, where I went to private school and in many situations, in many circles, many trips, many activities, more often than not, I was the only woman of color in any of those circumstances. And just in that being so different all the time, it's not necessarily racism, but there's also, there's just the, the reality of race, right? And just kind of in all that brings. So that's something that even to this day, many times when I look around, I'm usually the only woman of color in, in meetings for a big international company. So that's also something that is very real for me every day. Uh, but going back to a kid, you you weren't just raised um, in a, a different race, but you were also uh, 
an extremely tall <laughs> yeah. girl. Now, before we started this podcast, you mentioned that um, you're just now kind of coming to terms with how tall you are in comparison to other people. But what was it like back then? Did did you, were you standing out because of it? Were you yeah. picked on when? Well, no, I was never picked on be, for being tall. I feel like there were other things that were very obvious. Um, but I remember, actually, it's a funny story. So my first day of Seagate Day Camp, I actually remember um, my parents fighting the night before because my mom was very adamant of my going. My dad's, who's from Trinidad, um, he's, you know, why would we send her there? Like, it's kids. I think I was four years old. So it's kids from, like, you know, kindergarten to like kids that were 18 you're gonna put this child where we know everyone kind of hates us in this neighborhood and Kelly all by herself you know and whatever but my mom won that conversation and the next morning um my dad woke me up and he comes in my room with a silver tray of mangoes which is like my favorite fruit and he's like okay my princess time to wake up and you know breakfast in bed for my princess and on a silver tray and I'm like oh this is delicious I'm like how fun um, and he's like okay my princess what do you want to wear today and he's going through the closet and choosing outfits and I'm like oh the pink dress and he's like okay my princess and we get ready and it's kind of going on the whole time and then we start walking to camp he goes no 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 princesses don't walk and he carries me and like puts me on his shoulders we're walking along the beach to the camp and we get there and he's like okay my princess I'll pick you up later and I get there and I'm like okay bye like this is awesome and I get there and it's like one of those moments where like the music stops and everyone like turns around and looks at me um, I was called every name in the book and particularly the n-word by a lot of people and I remember my little four-year-old Brian like mind was just like even just saying out to them like I'm not that what are you talking about I'm a princess and I legitimately thought I was a princess like just because of you know like I don't even I'm not even allowed to walk on this street and I get you know breakfast that way and and I you know and then it was sad like people stopped talking to me and at the end of the day my dad comes and it's a big Trinidadian guy he's like okay where's my princess and I like, turn around and stick my tongue out like you see and I just think back to that just and it's something that I it always kind of come back to because it really just instilled of like what do you really feel about yourself and like right like everything can happen around you but when you have that sense of self that strong sense of self it really helps you kind of stand up against whatever may be thrown at you. And so it's interesting. I was going this time when I was kind of figuring out what my next step was. I was really feeling kind of in touch with what I was doing. And I, you know, I just kind of needed to get back to self. And so I started this kind of whole health regimen and, you know, just really doing a lot of things like meditating and exercising more. And I've been doing this kind of had this lifestyle shift now for, I guess, over like four months. And I've noticed for the first time I used to always I know I'm tall, right? I'm 5'11". Um, I'm tall and I like wear heels. I love dressing up. So like that's just a reality. Um, but I always feel my height in context to other people, right? Like when I'm at home, I don't feel tall. I just, you know, I'm just, I'm a person, like it doesn't even register. And it was funny, just recently, I'm starting to feel tall and like realize like how long my limbs are me because I'm doing Pilates too. So I'm also just very self-aware, but I just am starting to feel the length of my body in a very real way without being in context to other people. And that's something new. So I'm, I'm wondering if that's almost like a, a physical side effect of this like self-actualization process, if you want to call it. Um, but it's, it's very interesting. Like, I'm like, oh, I feel how tall I am. But that mm. could also be Pilates and now that I'm saying it. But it's good to feel. <laughs> yeah, I it's mean, really nice, like coming into your body. I mean, what, what are we without feeling? Yeah. Right? That's the that's the human condition. That's what we're put on this planet to do. Totally. Now, I want, I want to go back to these... You know these mean people in high school, and in when you're four, 
Mm-hmm. And, and I'm guessing a lot of this kind of continues throughout middle school and high school. And you start to learn how to channel these, this anger and these frustrations into art. And that's your next chapter is then opening up an art gallery and running an art gallery. What did that process look like? Well, it was interesting. So, I th- so from Seagate, which was that, and then eventually I learned how, you know, I'm, by nature I've always been like a kind of quiet child, soft-spoken, very polite. I think it's, it's very Trinidadian, just very courteous and mindful and respectful and things like that. And so when it, we realized, oh, my God, black people aren't like a major threat and can be okay, there was a, a years for them to learn that. But eventually it became – a nice environment and tolerable environment, I should say. Um, and then it was so funny because but we left the summer of seventh grade and I swear to God, like that summer I went through puberty and then I like went this cute little girl to, you know, it's in me call like an attractive woman and like people were noticing me in a different way and it was a different type of attention. And then on top of it, we moved to the city. That was actually very funny because I'm so used to talking to everyone. Like you say, good morning. I lived in a small neighborhood. And then now I was like taking the train and like, it was, it was actually quite funny because guys would start hitting on me and they're like, yo ma. And I'm like, hi, I'm Kelly. And they're like, can I get your number? I'm like, oh yeah. And like, come home, mom, I made new friends. And then like these like grown men were like calling the house, asking to speak to Kelly. And my mom was like, oh my God, we need to sit down and talk. You're not in Seagate anymore. And so that was a whole other kind of like, reacclimation to myself um and so the gallery came after high school um once I kind of you know there's a whole new world the world of like clubs and going out and all of that stuff you know I just I just knew college didn't really feel right like it just I'm I felt like there's so much when you're in high school when you're younger you just have to kind of do what's expected, right? You have to go to school. You have to play sports. You're preparing for college. Like there is, you were like in the rat race before you even start working. Like it's so, such a young age. And I felt like I was just like on autopilot and I'm just going and going and going. And I'm like, wait, like, I don't know if that's where I want to go. Like I need a minute to think. Mm. Um, That conversation did not go well. My parents, like academics were very, they're a big part of my family. So that was just like, what? Like they're totally all in on like the rat race game and, and getting it done. But it just, my gut, like I just knew in myself that that was just not something I was ready for yet. Um, and so I always loved art. Like even when, before we moved into our house, our, we have a, had a brownstone in the city. And before we moved in, uh, while the walls were white, my mom would actually have young artists and like made it like almost like an impromptu gallery so to speak so we always so I was always around and seeing and it was something my parents appreciated a lot um so when I decided I wasn't going to college it was also decided I was not going to just sit at home and do nothing and so I worked for a family friend and they had a gallery in Greenwich Connecticut and I my job was to comprise their bid list so this is now I graduated high school in 2002 so this is like yeah I'm like yeah, it was really quick. So around 2002, um, my job was to comprise their bid list. And so I would, I never studied art history. I mean, I like beautiful things. I appreciate art and I could stare and I get lost in it. Even now when I'm kind of stressful, I'll go to MoMA and like go visit my favorite Pollock and just sit there and it, it helps me. Um, and so I would just research each piece and I'm like, okay, like literally this is early stages of the internet too. And just research every piece and then comprise their bid list and say, okay, so this is, you know, what we should buy, why they're relevant, what we can expect to get for it. And, you know, the costs are what we should buy it for. And 
I got very good at that, mainly because I was just staying up all night studying and I just invested the time in it. And eventually I went to the physical gallery one day and in the basement they had all these pieces that hadn't sold. And I'm like, well, this is kind of weird. They're like, no, it's an ebb and flow. Like it's this the way the business goes. I'm like, that literally makes no sense. I'm like, why not sell it online? And they're like, oh, Kelly, like that online business, like what are you talking about? So this must be like 2003 now. Um, and I'm like, no, seriously, like this just doesn't make sense. And then like, I wouldn't let up on it. And eventually they're like, you know what, just do what you want. So I set up an eBay storefront and in six months they were making more money online than they were in a physical gallery. And I'm like, okay, this is just crazy. I'm like, one, I'm telling you what to buy and I've opened a channel for you to sell it in. Why am I doing this for someone else? And so again, I went to my mom, like, mom, I need $50,000. I'm starting an art gallery. And she literally, she's a cursing more. I heard a side of her. She said some words. <laughs> um, no, very strongly. And I'm like, well, no, like, you know, forget you too. Like, I'm going to do this. Like, again, like similar to when I made the decision not to go to college, like my gut said, and also just logic pointed out, like, this needs to be done. Like it was a very clear, I know, you know, sometimes you know very clearly whether what not to do. And sometimes you just know very clearly what you need to do. And, and you have to just be willing to lean into it and like, nope, this is just, I don't know. This is, I have to follow it. And so I went to Barnes and Nobles and got a book on how to start a business for dummies, wrote a business plan, um, got a really cute outfit. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I went to Chase Bank and with my plan and they didn't give me 50,000. I was 19. I was 18 or 19 at the time, um, and they gave me $5,000. <laughs> That's like, 10% of I'm what like, you wanted. Okay, I'm like, we could work, right? Like, I'm like, okay, so, all right, so maybe my website won't have flash, you know, and maybe I can't buy the 20 pieces I want, but I could buy three, you know, and I could start with something. And, and so I did. And so I bought three, and I was able to turn that into four, and then I was able to turn that into, like, five, and that was how – and I named the gallery Oswald Cleveland Gallery. I named it after, after my dad. dad. Um, why, why is that? You know, it's so funny. So my dad, like I mentioned, he's from Trinidad and Tobago. He, I don't even think he graduated from high school, but he has been, he's been able to build, he built an incredible business and he's so great with people. Like he's just an incredible man and he really lives his life. If my mom lives her life by like the book and, you know, and kind of the traditional means of success and like, you know, just checking off those boxes. My dad really lives his life from his heart. Right. And it's just like, yes, you know, very, very nurturing in that way. Um, also I think because my mom was an emergency room doctor, she, she worked really long hours. So my dad really was like my caregiver. And so it's, you know, I'm like, dad, I really want to do this. He goes, Oh, girl, girl, you could do anything you want. And I'm like, thank you, daddy. <laughs> um, so I think it was, it was, that and I also just a really great name Oswald Cleveland like that you can't get better than that um sidebar uh you name an art gallery after your dad but I want to ask you what's the greatest thing you've learned from your mother oh so much I I am my mother's child right and I think sometimes why we've like even when I was younger you know why we may have butt heads is because she's incredibly strong-willed like no one is going you know, and she, it didn't really make sense for us to move to Seagate, but no, 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 we're going to live in this house. It's a beautiful house. It's a great communal. You're like, like on the beach, it was a beautiful house and things like that. And she's going for it. Um, she's one, she grew up in Camden, New Jersey, um, which I think was rated like the number one most dangerous city in America. Um, it was one of seven children, not expected that where she is would, you know, you don't see many 
she just fought for kind of everything that she has. And if I learned anything from her, it's that your past, your circumstances do not dictate where you end up or where you want to go. You dictate that. And and I've I've really followed that, right? There are no limitations in life. And you put in hard work and you you really have your goal and you kind of stick to it. Anything is possible. And I see that through her. Um, and she also just does so much for others. And I see how hard my mom works and a lot of things that she created, um, working for the school health program, providing general health care to kids in underprivileged areas, whether it's like physical health care, dentistry, um, mental health, and just she fights so much and she works so hard at the service of others and giving back. And, you know, when you look back at, and one looks back at their life and they want to understand, like, what did I do? What did I accomplish? She's touched so many lives. And that, I think, that work ethic, that ability to kind of anything is possible, um, and the ability that you almost have to be a stand for other people in situ situations where they can't are elements of, I feel like I totally get that from my mom. Mm -hmm. I think my empathy, my compassion for others, my sensitivity, um, and my ability to really follow my gut in instances, I definitely get from my dad. Oh, I like that. <laughs> so you name an, an art gallery after him. Mm -hmm. And does it become the wild success you want it to no, be? No, I'm or? like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, all right. So I turn my three paintings into four, and then I turn to, like, I can get, like, six. I'm like, it is literally going to take me forever to make my millions. Um, so I had always wanted to model because I'm so tall. And... Um, and my, my family, that was just, no, like, it's like pretty girls are a dime a dozen. Like, what else you got? I remember I used to um, ask my mom, like, mom, do you think I'm pretty? She's like, you pass in a crowd. Like, what do you know? Um, and it's so funny. If you had asked me, like, at 11 years old what I wanted to be when I grow up, my response was at that time, CFO of a Fortune 500 company. Like, it was just such a different mindset that I was, like, that was just never something that was, like, on the list. Um, but... At this time, America's Next Top Model was like a hit show. And so I got this, it was like my first marketing strategy, actually, that I ever created. Um, I got this idea that if I go on this show, everyone will know about my gallery, and that's like exactly what I need. <laughs> I mean, and if at the same time I get to satisfy like a childhood dream, by all means. Um, so I auditioned for the show. Um, I remember I stood in line. I was for six hours. I was number 783. I still have my little sticker. What, what did you do during those seven hours? I stood in line. So my mom was there with me. Um, a girlfriend of mine was there, and we just talked and about what it would be like. Can you imagine we go on the show and we're in together? What if we're roommates? It'd be so cool. I wonder what it is. What are you going to say? How are you going to stand? I, I, I can imagine it was stuff like that. I remember it was a really sunny day. Um, and... Yeah, and I got it, and I was able to negotiate that rather than saying Kelly Jacob, you know, 19 from Manhattan, say Kelly Jacob, 19, owner of Oswald Cleveland Gallery. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I was, a, and this is back 2004 now, 2003, I'm not sure, around that time, um, and where you it wasn't as prevalent to have young entrepreneurs, right? Like people that are like 19, like running a business is like, what are you even talking about? Um, so there was a lot of, I got to talk about Oswald Cleveland Gallery and stuff like that. Um, after that, the world then realized that I am not a model, not photogenic. I think there's, there's literally an episode titled Girl That Cries in the Mirror and it's about me. So that was a very interesting experience. Yeah. So <laughs> they said some pretty bad things about you. Yeah. I mean... What did that feel like? I mean, what to quote one of the comments, why'd you cry so much? Yeah, well, I'm really sensitive, um, which I've learned now 
my sensitivity is probably what makes me so good as a product developer and that level of empathy with others. So it's, so that's a whole other story. We can get to it, but um, you know, I feel like I've noticed in life, there are reoccurring themes, right? Like it's almost like Groundhog's Day on something, right? And if, and until you resolve it, it will always come up. I studied Kabbalah for a while and they talk about something called a tacoon of like, you come into this world to kind of get over something or to face something or, you know, to reconcile something. And until you do, it will always keep happening, right? So I look at like Seagate and really being different and like that really affecting me and, and feeling bad. I look at top model and in some way, like it's, it, I knew exactly what that feeling was. I felt it before when I was younger and being like different and like feeling sad. It's come up in like different groups. And so it's like a reoccurring thing. And I think at that time, I still hadn't reconciled it and it still hurt. And I took it very personally. And I think it struck a chord. Like it's like, oh, I know this feeling and this, we're going back here again. And so once you kind of get in that spiral, it, it you get in that spiral. Um, I think what's changed now is I'm like, oh, okay, this is it. This is the time now. All right. We're going to lean into this and we're going, we're going to deal with it. Right. Like bring it on. It's, it's also seeing it for what it is. Like, so, wow, what is this bringing up for me? And I think a, really my meditation practice has helped in kind of like, okay, so this feels interesting. And what is this saying to me? Why is this coming up? And it allows me to go deep with it and then reconcile it so that it doesn't have to be like, oh my God, Tyra hates me. And like, why am I so hideous? That's, oh my God, it was such a bad episode. I can't even watch it anymore. Um, but it's, rather than just like kind of it's almost like my it brings me back to mama who was a very strong woman of like you got to take the bitter with the sweet okay so now it's a little bit bitter let's deal with this let's swallow this pill so we can get back to the sweet side you know it's i don't know and 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 so you were on the the show mm -hmm. and then you get cut yeah it's a punch in the face no that was like no? sweet relief jesus the thing it was torture being in there and i even said i think in my exit um you know, uh, my exit interview is, you know, it doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And that was really interesting. I'm like, definitely something I could check off my bucket list of doing a television show and, you know, um, doing something like that and going to photo shoots and working with Tyra. And it was awesome. Like, I'm glad I got to do it. Shed some tears, eh, whatever, things happen. Um, but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And now I have that. And then it was so, so beautiful is that after the show, just the amount of support that I got. And it was a whole different world when I came out. So you also have to think this is back in 2000, like, yeah, it's 2004 by this time. And like this is the early stages of reality TV where there was like a formula. You had the Mormon girl, you had like the nice blonde cheerleader, um, you had your typical Asian girl, and like you had like maybe a black girl that was usually a little loud, like but all around stereotypes. Yeah. And then here I come in, like, hi, I'm Kelly. And you have to imagine I'm making a little bit of money now, so I'm buying ridiculous things like Louis Vuitton luggage, like luggage and things like that. Um, and so I'm like, hi, I'm Kelly. And there just hadn't been, I mean, other than like, I guess, Hillary Banks on like <laughs> the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, but a real person that had a different experience and it brought up a lot of things. Um, so it was just really nice to get emails from so many, you know, young women of color that are like, thank you. Like, you, that's exactly what my experience is. I know what that's like. Like, that's exactly how it is for me growing up in an all white community. And like, you go into private school, like I, like that just hadn't really seen themselves. So that was empowering. Um, and then I spoke so much. I was invited. I spoke all over the country at different colleges to teach people how I started my business. So people latched on to the things that 
like in my opinion, were most meaningful, you know? So that also was really helpful and even for me reconciling it and putting things into context. Like, yeah, I cried, but there were so many other beautiful things that people were able to see and to inspire others that there was a greater cause underneath it that. And, and so then after going and speaking at so many colleges across the country, you make the decision to go back to college or to finally go to close yeah. that chapter. Is is that because that's what your parents wanted you to do or how yeah. did that come about? It's so funny. I remember they're like, okay, Kelly, this is really great. Love your gallery. And at this time I had a staff of six people working, like business is going great. Oh, I actually had pivoted the entire gallery. Um, so we were... I was selling 19th and 20th century pieces related to like collectors, like different artists that I knew we had certain collectors for. The audience of America's Next Top Model were not interested in like a Wiggins or something like that. And so I had to like, I think it was maybe like three months between when I completed shooting Top Model to when it aired to completely pivot the direction of the gallery. And so I really wanted it to be a resource. And, you know, why should art just be for a select few? Like, how do I make art accessible to, it wasn't a term at the time, millennials, but to young people to, of my generation? And from, how do I make art something that everyone can enjoy? And so I found this artist named Mitchell Shore. And basically, he was invited to concerts like by Jay-Z, Ja Rule, Alanis, Alanis Morissette, all really like hot at the time. And he would illustrate them. He would do these huge canvases. And then he built these frames that you could plug your iPod into. So it just was really interactive. And then he had these like nostalgia T-shirts with like ice cream trucks, which we could sell for like $75. So it was just very, you can access it, you can relate to it, and it was still art. And so the platform really, it became, Oswald Cleveland became a platform to really educate people and like welcome to the art world um so that was really exciting um and so speaking to all these students it was it was just a really exciting effort then so here I am speaking and I remember my parents like okay this is really great love your gallery getting so much buzz but you got to go to college and I'm like are you serious like I'm literally going into these colleges to teach people to do what I am doing I think I got this um and they were really adamant I'm just like oh whatever I'm not going to college um but it was still kind of on my head that, you know, Kelly, this is great for right now, but you're 19. Like, you don't know what you're going to want to do later in life. Like, it's just a nice base to have should you ever want to do something else. And so they were making some points that were there. And I'm like an Aries and like an only child, so very stubborn at times. So I was like kind of hearing it. Um, and then I remember I spoke at Hunter and I had a really good time, like kind of planning the event with them. And, and I was like, God, my parents really want me to go to college. And they're just like, why don't you just go? You could take night classes. You don't have to do it in four years. Like you could still do both. Um, and I'm like, oh, that's not a bad idea. And so that's what I did. I'm like, I'll take a few classes. I'll work during the day. I'll do this. But what you don't realize is when you do one of those TV shows, you sign your life away for like five years. Uh, you know, so if there's any publicity or anything that they need you for. And at that time, Tyra started her talk show. So I would work during the day, I'd take classes at night, then like on a Friday, there'd be a car to pick me up, I'd fly to LA, do a TV show, fly back, try to do homework, like it was just, it was a lot, you know, I was, I was like, I love learning, I'm just constantly curious, but I enjoyed it, but I like, there were just so many things that could be better, and I was complaining to one of my professors, and she's like, why don't you do something about it, and I'm like, I will, and I remember speaking up at a Senate meeting, which is like the governing body of Hunter, it's comprised of students, faculty, and administration, and I'm like, why aren't teacher evaluations online, like, why can't you register for classes online, why is the library this way, it's a commuter school, like, where's our hub, and, you know, 
I ultimately became vice chair of that Senate. <laughs> um, and I got really involved. And something, something shifted and something kind of changed for me. I always thought I'd be this entrepreneur that would just take over the world. But working in Hunter and getting involved, I'm like, you know, there's something that, the thing that's really stuck to me was that you can do so much more as a part of something bigger than yourself. And, and that, it just, it, it awoken something in me, so to speak. And I'm like, you know, if there's one thing I know that I can do is I know I could start a business. Like, you know, you've got that, right? Like, that's something that I have the ability to do within myself. I don't know where this is going to go. And it's, I think I want to lean into it. And so I did. And so I made the decision to, I still own the right stalls while Cleveland. Maybe it'll be like a charity down the line. Who knows? But I put, I closed down the business and I'm like, I want to go all in on school. I want to really, I want to see this. Like, where is this going to take me? Um, it was also really interesting that I went into Hunter as an art history major and hated it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, that so just a lot of things were just like oh okay so wait you don't even like art like what's going on so I'm like let's 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 go down this rabbit hole and see where it takes us and so I did and I I loved it by the time I left I had an office um had helped to raise millions of dollars to renovate the the library was working with architects to renovate the Hunter College Library got teacher evaluations online um and full circle I now sit on the board of trustees for Hunter College um which is really amazing it's such a great institution um and so I leaned into it and then coincidentally Evelyn Lauder went to Hunter College and so while Estee Lauder companies typically recruits from like Harvard and UPenn and um, Georgetown, they take 100 students a year um, for their internship program for juniors. And because I was so active, they're like, Kelly, oh, you would be perfect for Estee Lauder. And I was actually offended. I'm like, after everything I've done for this school, you want me to sit behind a counter all day? Like I didn't even understand or know that that industry, the beauty industry existed in that like that that was so that was a whole learning in itself and so I of course ended up under after I was kind of educated to what it was I ended up interning there and that was another major turning point um I remember they put me I was a media major English minor I thought I'd be an investigative journalist I loved getting to the bottom of things and figuring it out and then being able to articulate and just this is what we need to do now and, and leading messages and I loved writing so that that made sense so because of my media and um my media and English major, they put me in global communications for their brand. Um, and that was okay. I think it was more, it wasn't, I'm not, and that's not my strong suit, global communications and PR and all of that. There are teams and people that are far more capable of, at that than I am. But what was really interesting was I remember we were sitting in a conference room um, discussing the launch of a new fragrance. Actually, it's called Sensuous. I still wear it to this day. Um, and I got to see you had like the head of product development, the head of R&D, you had, you know, the head of these different markets. And, you know, it was one of those kind of like from the devil wears Prada, that moment where, you, you know, you think you chose that blue sweater. <laughs> but in fact, I'm like, oh my God, like it was just, so this is how it happened. And like all the choices that I think I made were really based on the insights that, the people in this room had and the choices that they were actually making. And I noticed two things. One, there's no one like myself at that table. And two, this was like a huge responsibility, right? Like the magazines that I looked at and when I was a child growing up and the products that I have to hunt for for myself and the just, there's just so much, there's so much power in that room and there's so much insights in that room and so much responsibility has how I really took it. And I really wanted to be a seat at that table. I, I felt 
it was my duty. Like here I have access to this and think about all people that don't and who we serve, you know, and I, it was, it became very important to me to be there. And especially Estee Lauder being one of the largest beauty companies in the world, I felt like I had no choice. Like it was like another one of those, like, okay, got to do this, got to work here. Let's figure this out. And I graduated, um, college in 2008, which was when during the recession. And so Estee Lauder was actually on a hiring freeze. And I'm like, okay, but I, this, this just has to happen. Like, <laughs> I have to work here. I have to work for this company. It just, it just felt very strong um, within me. And I, I was very curious about product development. So when I think back at that table of like all the people, all the stakeholders in that and just who they were and like who, who everyone was and what they were saying, I really liked the position that the product development person had because I really felt that that was the advocate for the consumer. And it was, you know, she was speaking on behalf of what this woman wants and, you know, and I'm like, that's, that's, that's where your empathy. Yeah, comes exactly. And I'm like, I really think I really curious about product development. So, um, love when you're young and I think you could still do it now, but informational interviews, I was able to get an informational interview with Jennifer Balbier, who is the senior vice president of product development for Matt Cosmetics. Just Mac at the time. And she's like, okay, I've got 15 minutes. And I'm like, okay. An hour and a half later, she's like, okay, yeah, I'm in her office, like with her team. She's like, you have to do, pro you were born to do product development and you need to do it for Mac. And we found a way. And I was able to start that August, um, right after I graduated at Estee Lauder. Now, I want to dig into that strategy of, um, you know, when, when people apply to a company they usually send in their resume and they say no to the internship but you said yes to the internship and then you actually got your foot in the door by offering to do or by asking to do an interview mm -hmm. and empowering her to have a voice and then she saw yours yes is that what a lot of people should be doing more of yeah i think i think what comes from that is I know, like, I know there's something there, right? It's just very authentic. I don't know much about product development, but I know where I stand, and there is something that's here. Let's talk. I want to learn more. Like, I also was trying to understand product development, too. Like, I didn't know if that was exactly what I wanted to do, and this woman seems to know everything about this, and she's in a brand that I identify with. Like, it makes sense to have a conversation. Like, there's almost an innocence to it and, and kind of approaching it, and I like that. I like the way that feels. Like when I, whenever I can kind of be that way with people or in my approach to things, the best things come out of it. I think that that genuine curiosity, and I think people appreciate that. And I always get, and some of my best opportunities have come through just honest conversations with people and genuine, being just very genuine about what I don't know and what I'm curious about. And like, wow. And I think you have to have confidence. I think it does take a little bit of confidence to be able to stand in that. Like, I may not know this. I know I know a lot of other things though, right? Like, I'm no, like, you know, it's I'm not going to say, I was going to say spring chicken, but I like to consider myself still a spring chicken. Um, but no, <laughs> we, you know what? My, Maya Angelou uh, said that in my buddy Alex Bonian's book, The Third Door, that I was, that was on the table before we started. And she said, I'm 81 at the time she did the interview. I'm 81 and my life's just beginning. I have everything to learn. Yeah. And I love it. But I feel like that is so refreshing. So whenever I meet people or I speak, and I speak a lot, especially to young girls, um, everyone always comments on like my energy. Like there's, it's like there's almost a childlike curiosity and like excitement about things. And it's not every, you don't experience that a lot. And I think that having that people appreciate it and how, you know, so I think that's definitely 
in many cases has gone in my favor and some, it pisses some people off too, but eh, can't win them all. Um, but so that's, so that it worked that time. And so you landed your dream job. Mm-hmm. You're working at Estee Lauder. Mm-hmm. You're rising up through the ranks of the company, getting to travel to over 20 companies, uh, countries, co- countries yeah. for this, this company. They sent me to grad school. Got Se- to live in oh Shanghai. I got to gosh. live in Shanghai for a year. It was, it's been incredible. And so where do you find your zone of genius within this new vision of, you know, what your life is? Do you have thoughts of going back and opening the art gallery? Do you have thoughts of branching out on your own again? Do you have thoughts of, you know, you're... you're, you're I'm open, you uh-huh. know? And so, like, I, it's, I know when my gut wants to do something, right? Like, I don't feel like it's like, oh, my God, this is what I have to do. And I haven't had that moment yet. Um, and I do, I do feel that there's something, but I'm, I'm still learning. You know, I've been at the company now. It'll be 10 years in August. Yeah, that happened. Um, and it's been tremendous. I mean, it's also working for a really big company. It doesn't feel like 10 years with one company, right? So I was in global product development for three years with Mac, literally traveling to different country every other month, working on products, meeting people, developing products. I was in corporate innovation where I worked on four patents um, and foundation and for um, skin protection like SPFs and color. Uh, I then while I was in grad school, I then was on North America strategy, working with all of our brand presidents across each brand, understanding things like supply chain operations, how our business functions, and looking at key innovation opportunities just strategically. Um, I was based in Shanghai for a year, working on building our innovation lab and capabilities there. I became lead of millennial innovation, so working on how do we really start speaking in a more relevant way, for, especially for some of our legacy brands, um, and helping guiding our brands through that. I got to d- work on developing two new brands, as they edit and Victoria Beckham, Beckham. Wow. Um, like how who like it's such a unique opportunity <laughs> to be an entrepreneur and build a brand in within the the safety and the resources of a large company that was incredible. Um, and now I work for Estee Lauder Ventures, so where I get to work with all the cool kids on the block, the brands like Becca and Too Faced, um, Le Labo, and really helping them grow internationally. So every time there's always something new to learn. I just can't stop. So there's and I'm still. Like even 10 years in, the fact that there's still things and pockets and avenues where, yes, I'm able to add value just based on the things, my experience now, but I'm also still learning like, oh, wait, I've never like launched a brand in a new country. Like, what's this about? Let's understand that. Um, In terms of what's next, I have to admit, I think there, I don't have, I haven't had that aha moment like, oh my God, this is exactly what I have to do, but I am definitely like creating an environment within myself so that can happen, right? So what does really, that look like? Yeah. So I I notice so I've also kind of dealt I've dealt with depression for a lot of my life. It's been something that's there, which is probably why I'm so quiet and also sensitive too. Um and and it's been something I've I've it was really after I took the stand of like not going to college. That was also a big catalyst for like not doing that. Like it just felt like I needed to stop this. I was putting an undue pressure that was like, I think depression is, it's, it's not a symptom, but it's usually because something's in misalignment with yourself. Right. And you need to figure out what that is and give your time space to do that. It's not like, Oh my God, depression. Like, don't do that. It's like, wait, what, what's happening here? What, what do I need to figure out? And I found myself starting to get depressed. Um, How long ago? 
I don't know, probably like last September, like September, November. And I'm like, why am I like, you know, I was, and I was actually contemplating going on medication. And like, I'd, I have so many friends who are like, oh my God, yeah, just get Zoloft, you'll be fine. And I just didn't want to do that, right? I'm like, and I even remember as a child when they wanted to put me on medication, I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want a pill. Like something is making me upset. Like, I want to understand what that is. I distinctly remember this talking to like therapists, like don't put me on medication. I want, this is not a thing. This is, you know, something's trying to tell me something. Um, and so I decided, I read this book, um, A Mind of Your Own by Kelly Brogan. And it just talks about how, first of all, like so much stems from your gut. Like majority of your serotonin you produce actually comes from your gut. There's so many nerve endings and like half of your brain is in your stomach and what you eat. And it just talks about having a healthy lifestyle and diet and treating depression through food essentially. And so I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I'm like, let's give that a try. And so for two weeks, I cut out dairy, gluten, um, sugar, I stopped drinking. I even like stopped smoking. Um, I started drinking and then like little things. And like, so that, that was interesting. So I did that for two weeks and I felt amazing. I had so much energy. I started really focusing on sleeping well. Um, I started taking, doing acupuncture, which I still do once a week. Um, then I read this book, Own Your Glow by Latham Thomas, dear friend. Amazing. And so then there was like, wow, you should like meditate and then looking at my cycle differently and, you know, appreciating downtimes and really how do you like nurture yourself. And so I went through this phase of really just taking care of myself. And initially it was just to like not feel depressed. And now I'm like, I don't know what I was doing before, like even like depression or no depression, but how good I felt and how clear things were. It was amazing. And so now it's just like become a lifestyle. I'm like, I can't imagine not living this way. In, in that book, Own Your Glow. You know, what is her stance on, well, what, what is her stance on depression in that book? I mean, I, I almost want to, I almost want to champion people's admittance of depression. Yeah. I don't think, I'm not sure if Latham brings up, de- like speaks to depression specifically. Kelly Brogan a hundred percent talks to it and that and it's similar to my philosophy of like depression is not it's not the thing that you need to treat. It's te- it's like a little alarm bell going off that something's in misalignment, whether it's your diet, whether it's something you need to confront or deal with, like find out what that is, right? Like, you know, take steps to figure it out and work your way through it. There's actually no proof that um, SSRIs or antidepressants actually treat depression or increase serotonin levels because you can't even test that. You have to like wait for someone to be dead to like check their serotonin levels. So it's just like a thought, you know, and then you're on it for so long, then how do you kind of get off of it? And, and that's always been my concern as an adult of going on them. Like, well, what about when I have kids? Like, how would I handle that? That's not a solution, you know? So I really wanted to kind of get down to it. So I really, I, I loved her books. Anyone that's dealing with that, I highly recommend. Um, Latham's book, was more about, so I feel like, okay, so let's get, I listen now to Optimize by um, Brian Johnson, and he often um, speaks about the fundies or the fundamentals, right? So it's eating well, sleeping well, um, and movement and exercise. So once I feel like I got my fundamentals and I was working out a very good, like just physically, I'm in a good balanced place, I found Latham's book was really like, now let's really understand, like now let's do some work and let's really understand what is it that makes me tick and what's my glow and how do I really bring out like my inner goddess, so to speak, and understand what that is. And I, and I wanted to get back in touch with that because I found that was some a time, that's what I really appreciated um, when I was like in high school and saying, I'm not going to college or I'm starting an art gallery, like that clarity of exactly what it is I want to do. I wanted to get back in touch with that. And Latham's book was really helpful in like 
you know, whether it's journaling, like journaling exercises and like really the importance of medica uh, meditation um, and certain types of that and just honoring your cycle as a woman. Like, you know, sometimes, yeah, I'm tired. Like, you know, and, and it's that time and that's okay. And like, give yourself that space. And sometimes it's time to go out and just really being able to honor that to, to do that. So it was like the external and like the physical way. And then there was like the spiritual way kind of speak of really owning that. So that's really helped put me on this really nice path that I get to like feel my height out of context <laughs> of, of other people and things are, like that. Are there, are you able to have bumps along that journey as well? And how do you deal with those bumps when those come up now? Like when's, when's the last time you broke down and said, God, I want to go on this path, but oops, I just slipped. What oh, happens then? So there's no like slip, right? There's no, it's, I'm, I'm not even saying I'm a vegan or anything like that. Like I eat how I want to feel. Um, and so I know when I eat these things, I feel really great. I know like when I exercise, I feel really good. But like, for example, last week, I did not feel like exercising. I felt like sitting on my couch and watching The Sopranos and getting, you know, reacquainted with that. And that was totally okay. Um, like last night I had dinner with my friend Rachel and like it's at So House and I, we had a bottle of wine and that felt fine too. I mean, I have a little bit of a headache. <laughs> I haven't like drank in so long, but that's okay too, right? Like it goes back to my mom and you got to take the bitter with the sweet. There is no perfect all the time. Like there are twists and turns. And even when things like upset me at work, there are times where I'm just like, oh my God, I can't stand this or this person or I, I become reactive. And I'm like, all right. So that happened. And there are times when I do feel sad too. And I write about it. I think it's, I think it's one being okay with that. There is no off path or on path. Like this is it. We're, we're playing, right? Like we're not going anywhere. There's no end game. It's like each moment you get to choose and you choose that way. And like, that's okay too. Um, and I, and I can say that now because there were some things in my life that were really hard. That I don't think you don't, I don't think I would have, if I had a child, I wouldn't want my child to go through, let's say, um, but then I look at, would I be exactly who I am right now if I didn't, you know? And so who's to say it was bad or not? It's what is. And so, and that's okay. And I don't know what's going to happen next, but maybe there was a need for me to have a headache in this moment. And like, I could just speak more, like, who knows? You just, you know what I mean? Like hindsight's twenty twenty. Like you don't know it going into it. So the best that you could do is stay present to this moment. S Steve Jobs once said, you can never connect the dots going forward. You can only connect the dots going backwards. Exactly. So your best bet is to just not worry about it and like kind of be here. But don't get me wrong. I do. I think what a lot of these, it's not necessarily a path. It's more of, I look at these things as tools, right? Like I walked into this, I knew I was, something was off, right? Like I was starting to feel depressed and something, and I, I'm like, one, I want to, I want to know what that is. And I want to know what, what really brings me joy. And that was what I, my, that's why I'm like, let's let's see how to find it. And now I have this amazing toolbox, whether it's like my acupuncturist, Sheila, who's like everything, um, you know, a good meal. Like I found the joy in bubble baths and I'm like, oh, they're so amazing. Like, um, like speaking, I know, like I feel certain people, I enjoy being around in a different way. Some relationships feel different to me right now. Um, like journaling again, and I could just write about things or books I have. Like there are just so many things that, weren't in my consciousness of awareness as tools that I have. And so 
and it's nice too, right? If I have a question, like last time we met, I got a great book, like never eat alone. Like there just, there's so much. And so that also just brings excitement to the journey too. It's like, oh my God, like what is, what's going to unfold in like every interaction? Dang. <laughs> that was, well, I want to take that energy. And as we close out, I want to ask you, for the people who are listening, who I wish they could see your energy the way I see it right now. I know they can feel and hear your energy. As we close, what simple tips would you give to our listeners on how to w- awaken their own goddess within? Yeah, um, I would say your fundamentals, right? Like taking care of yourself. Like it's just a level of self-love that I wasn't doing. Like I was smoking like two packs of cigarettes a week. I was going out all the time. I was like, almost like I was running from something and I was, I was busy. It was, I mean, it's fun too. I'm not going to lie. And I still like going out and I still kind of, you know, every now and then, um, but really valuing and and seeing the value value in really nurturing yourself, right? Eating right. Like I went, I had this matcha latte and I'm like, oh my God, this is so good. Like it's the little things, like it's those moments and like give those gifts to yourself. Um, and it's, it's worth it. So, right. So I think eating really well and learn what like works for you. So I noticed after I did that two weeks of you know eating clean, I had an everything bagel because it was there. And I literally felt depressed like later that day, like I felt down and I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So that's how that affects me. Um, so you, you learn things and like, I think you have to look at it optimistically and with the curiosity of a child and like, it's an adventure, right? I'm learning so many things about myself. Like my, I could do so many things in my body now. It's amazing. Um, and then I think it's also just nice to have things that help bring you back and like level set you. So I actually took two weeks off from work at the end of the year and like while I was reading all these books and everything and I I created a vision board. I started painting and which I like went to like, which I realized, oh my God, why don't I do this more? I used to love this when I was younger. Um, I painted and I like created this vision board that sits, you know, it, I, it's the first thing I see when I wake up of like all the things. And so it just helps level set. So there are all these things that are going to happen. You know, it's kind of like the sky is always there. The clouds may pass, but at least I know where I went ahead at least for this year um so that's really nice but find those things that ground you and at least identify what your tools are so that you can pull on them when it may not be as easy well kelly i thank you for your your words and your stories i i learned a heck of a lot today <laughs> and i certainly got to know you better folks i hope you enjoy this episode as much as i did um check out kelly uh kelly jacob uh online or uh, just follow on Instagram, follow everything that she's been up to because it's a beautiful journey. If you like this episode, please click that subscribe button. Share it with your friends if you can. Feel free to email in with any questions, thoughts, or future suggestions of who we should have on this podcast. I really hope you found some value today. Hope y'all are having a phenomenal day on earth. Remember, folks, it's your world. Go explore and we'll see you next episode.